We, we have a very interesting take on thankfulness here in America. We set aside a complete day each year that we gather together to celebrate with family and friends all the things that we have to be thankful for. And we should have plenty. I mean, Pastor Jared outlined in Be Rich all of the richest, richness that we have in our lives financially as well as uh, emotionally and spiritually. We have so much to be thankful for, especially when we don't look just at ourselves and our country, but on the world scale, we have so much. And we're greatly blessed. And there's this beautiful tradition that we celebrate where we celebrate this harvest each year as much as that's changed throughout the years and what that means to us. And we take some time to digest this massive amounts of food that we've just consumed. We converse around the table. Maybe you snag a couch for a little turkey nap in the afternoon. And once it's all finished and we're rested up, mere hours after being thankful for all that we have, we rush out to the stores and trample each other for a bunch of cheap stuff. America. It's great. <laughs> America. But kidding aside, we do have so much to be thankful for. So what are we thankful for? I mean, from the very basic of things like running water and electricity and heat to the great jobs that we have, the cars, the houses, just so much that we've been blessed with. To even live in this country where we have the freedom to worship our God without persecution. And so, where did I look for inspiration but to Twitter? Twitter put together a list of the top ten. They looked at all the tweets since January 1st of this year and compiled the top ten I'm thankful for blank. And number 10 was God, 9, today, everyone, friends, love, everything, I'm thankful for family, people, life, and the number one tweet this year, I'm thankful for you. This list genuinely surprised me. I was not expecting such heartfelt answers from Twitter throughout the year of what we're thankful for. I, based on the other tweets I see and the way that we seem to react as a society, I was expecting a much more materialistic look for the things that we were thankful for. But, uh, but it was encouraging to see this. Unfortunately, this isn't really the attitude that I think we live out in daily life. It's, it's not necessarily the attitude that, that we treat others with or, or that we experience as we interact with others throughout the week, whether that's our family or our friends or our coworkers or just a stranger we, uh, we have checking us out at the grocery store. How do we so frequently forget all of these great things that we do have to be thankful for? And I, I think it, we have to ask, when are we not thankful? So we take this time to remember all these things, but... So often we forget, and I, I think we let our circumstances outshine the truth that we have of all this thankfulness in our lives, all these things to be thankful for. We let our immediate situations blind us to this great light that we have. This little molehill blots out the sun in our lives, and it shouldn't be that way. I know this is certainly true of myself. I often let the little details that didn't go exactly as I expected or planned derail what was an amazing success. How many of us at the dinner table 
talk about all the trouble that we had or that really annoying person at work or all the crud that we had to deal with instead of the good things of our day. The, the problems that we face or the countless ways in which the world wasn't fair to us seem to, to be the first things we talk about. And maybe you're going through a really terrible situation. Maybe it's not a molehill. Maybe you're facing a mountain. But God wants us to find more. He has so much more for us. So what does that look like? What does thankfulness look like in Scripture? Well, if we look in Psalms, if we look at David, he's fleeing for his life from Saul. He's been, he's been given um, the honor of being king from God, but Saul doesn't want to give it to him, so he, he chases him down, he tries to murder him, and he's running for his life. And everywhere he goes, he continues to find persecution. But what does he say in Psalm 56? It says, Oh God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Some of you might be thinking, mere mortals can do a lot of bad stuff to me. But... David's not worried about that. He's concerned about what the promises that God has for his life and the promises that God has for his life beyond this one. And so even in this time that we probably can't compare to, I've never been personally hunted down by an entire mob of people trying to murder me that I know of. Uh, I obviously wouldn't be successful if they had. And so, but even in this time, David is saying, I will trust in the promises God has given me. I have nothing to be afraid of if God is with me. What about the New Testament? If we look at Paul in Philippians, he's in prison. He's, he's, uh, he's being uh, persecuted just for admitting what is truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And now he's thrown in prison and he's facing a death sentence. And in chapter 1, 18, he says, But that doesn't matter whatever their motives are false or genuine The message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead me to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past." And I trust that my life will continue to bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. This does not sound like me to a man who is in prison. This sounds like a man who knows he has victory. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you'll have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. This is a beautiful attitude that Paul has. I know that if I were to find myself in prison, it'd probably be a pretty dark time in my life. 
If ever I was to wallow in self-pity, I think prison is the place where it seems most acceptable. And, and what Paul does, what does he have waiting for him? Possible execution. So he's facing time in prison and potential death. But all he sees in this, it brings him joy. Because he knows that, hey, if I die, I'm going to be with Christ. He's promised me that. And I'm looking forward to that. I almost prefer that. But I know that there's still more I can do here. And I know that there's still more that you can do. And I want to be a part of your journey as well. And that's just so cool that Paul is truly thankful, even for his imprisonment, seeing the possibilities that Christ has for him in that. What do our lives look like if we could be more like David and more like Paul? And even in these dark times that we're thankful for the promises God has in our lives. Instead of just lamenting in them and focusing on, on the things that are blotting out our joy. How, how are they holding on to this thankfulness for God? It's because they know God's promises. So, what is a promise? It is an offer with a guaranteed result. A promise is an offer with a guaranteed result. But we have a problem. Because we've all experienced a failed promise. Whether it was our boss, or our friend, or our family, we've experienced a promise that didn't hold out. And so we don't trust a promise. But a promise from God is an offer with a guaranteed result. Joshua 21.45 says, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. We, we tend to think that God's promises aren't true in my life. That, that God is not honoring his promises he's made. Just like everyone else, he's fallen short. But that's just not true. Because if we look at Hebrews 6, this is the message translation. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word a rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promises is likewise unchangeable. There's nothing that we can do to make God break his promise. We can't become unworthy of his promises. And there's nothing we can do to run away from them because they are unchangeable with his rock-solid word. It goes on to say, We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promise with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. I want to be in the very presence of God. He's offering me a lifeline and I want to grab it with both hands. So how do I get these promises then? We have to first know God's promises. First Chronicles 17, 19 says, O Lord, for the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known all your great promises. If he's made known all his great promises, I want to know them in my life. And where do I find them? It's in the word. The Bible is a book of promises from God. I want to live out these promises that he's made in my life, then I need to know them. And this is why it's so important for us to be reading our Bible daily. 
Because he has his word full of promises for us, but if we're not finding them, if we're not reading them and and placing them in our heart and memorizing them, then we won't be searching for them in our lives. We don't read our Bible daily just for our good Christian checklist that we can make. And I love myself a good checklist. You go and write something on your checklist you already did just so you can check it off. Come on. But that's not why we read our Bible. We read our Bible because it's God's word full of his promises for us. And he has something in it for us each and every day. Every day you may not find every single word meaning something to you, but you will find a word that means something to you. Or a passage that jumps out that says, God is trying to speak to you in your current circumstance. He's saying, I have a promise for you for your life. So we, we know his promises by searching his word but we also need to understand his promises. Numbers 23:19 says, "God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through?" Like I said earlier, some of us might think that God didn't follow through on his promises in our lives. But we need to understand that they are unconditional. That there is no distance we can run from these promises. He's not human. He did not lie. He cannot change his mind. His promises are unchangeable, and so they can be true in our lives. You might be asking them, why isn't it? It's because God's promises are dependent on us. We have to be living in a right relationship with God for his promises to be realized in us. He needs us to step out in faith because God knows that he is so much bigger than our situations. But if we keep trying to do it on our own, he doesn't have an opportunity to fulfill those promises. It's when we finally decide that I'm not going to do it all myself, I'm going to step out where I don't know if I have footing to stand on, that God is able to pick us up there. And finally, God works on his own time. And so we often might think we see a promise from God and know that this is when it is supposed to happen and exactly where and why. But God works on his own time, which in a cosmic scale usually doesn't quite line up with the time scale that I want. And so it requires a great deal of patience in waiting on God's timing. And it's in that waiting that you're able to grow and learn from the situation that you're in as God then takes you in that faith that you've had and picks you up. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. He answers all of his promises, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. We can give glory to God when, he, when we allow him to answer these promises in our lives. And how do we do that? The third thing is that we need to pursue his promises. They're not going to automatically come to us. We need to chase them down and seek them out. David said it this way in Psalm 119, verse 140, Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. David studied the word. He, he knew God's promises in his life, so he stepped out in faith and gave God the opportunity to step in. And when he tested those promises, 
He loved them because they came true in his life. Just a few verses later in 148, he says, My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. These promises were consuming David day and night because he, he knew that God had them in his life, so he was meditating on them, thinking of them continually, knowing that if he was uh, in this word that he'd give out God the opportunity to step forward. A promise is a guarantee about your future. If you know them through his word, if you understand them through God's timing and you pursue them, there is a better life than you're currently living through God's promises. I want to live a better life through God's promises. So what promises should we be pursuing then? God has a set of four core promises that structure this whole church that that God brought about first in Exodus as the Israelites were coming out of Egypt before Moses started going to uh, Pharaoh. God said, I have a core promise for your people and I want you to bring this to them. And so in Exodus 6, 6 through 7, he says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. He's going to bring them out of this slavery in Egypt from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. Well, if he already brought them out of Egypt, why does he need to free them? Because their hearts haven't changed. They still have a slave mentality. They still are acting and behaving like slaves. So God has taken them out of Egypt, but he needs to take Egypt out of them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This passage is read each year at Passover during the Seder meal. And this is where it's a time of remembrance of what God did with the Israelite people. He delivered them from this slavery in Egypt and he spared them. He passed over all their homes with the fresh sacrifice of the lamb's blood on their doors. And he spared them, and then he delivered them out. And they have this meal each year in remembrance of those great things that God did and the core promises that he had in their lives. And the really cool thing is that this is the very meal that the disciples were sharing with Jesus when he took them through communion. It's such a beautiful parallel between God rescuing his people in the Old Testament and Jesus coming to rescue each of us today. So what do these promises mean to us today then? If we are not in bondage in Egypt, what does it look like for us? God first tells them that I will bring you out. In this, God promises me salvation. A lot of us hear salvation and we think it's a very churchy word and so you think, yes, I went to church and I was saved and yeah, people go to church and they get that thing going on and whatnot. But it's more than just a church building. It's more than the relationships that we have with these other people here. Salvation is a relationship with God in your heart, a true relationship that is changing your life. It's going to bring you out. If you're brought out, then you cannot stay in the same place. And this is outlined in Titus 3, 3 through 8. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. 
They were slaves to the desires of their body, living from pleasure. We, our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. God is love, and so this attitude that we have of, of hatred for one another and this, this evil envy and, and this the way that people treat each other, it's not of God. This is a sinful nature that we have in us, and God wants to bring us out of that. So how do we get that? But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. It's nothing that we could do or earn. There is no amount of righteous behavior we can have to earn the salvation. God is bringing us out. He is, promises us this salvation through Christ Jesus. And it's when we accept that truth, when we believe that Christ did die for us to wash us clean, that's when we can begin following him with a life of salvation. And a lot of people think that that's it, that okay, so I, I believe it, I accepted it, I'm done, right? But that's just the first promise that God has for us. He has three more cups. And the second one is, I will free you. We've been delivered from this place, but now he will free your heart. And this is where God promises me deliverance. This is where a vast majority of Christians lie. You'll identify with this step. And each of us are in one of these cups. You're at one of these places, whether you know it or not. And so realizing which stage you're in is how you're able to then move on to the next. And so a lot of people need deliverance because they're still trapped in their old life. You've accepted Christ. You believe this sacrifice that he made for you is true for your life. but you still have this human nature, this sin nature that you're letting control your life. Like it said in Titus, they, had these, they were seeking after the ways of their body. Well, if we're allowing our body to make our decisions instead of Christ, then we need deliverance from that. And a lot of people get a lot of shame and guilt from that, but even Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, told us in Romans 7, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Even Paul is still stuck in this nature of, I said I wasn't going to do it last Sunday, and I showed up and I still did it again. And just being in this cycle of guilt and shame. But God wants to deliver you out of that. And so he starts chapter 8, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. God has no condemnation. He's not watching us tallying the times that we make a mistake over and over and over and over and over again like we try to do with ourselves. God says, come to me with a clean slate because I have washed you clean and I want to deliver you from that place. God's not watching us saying, well, you did these things wrong. I don't know if you should be in church today. He's saying, I have a promise for you. 
I have deliverance for you. The Egypts had left the Egypt. The, the Israelites had left Egypt, but Egypt was still in their heart. And so God's saying, I want to deliver you. I want to purify your heart, heal you from that hurt and those scars that you are letting define you, and I want to make you a new creation in Christ. But even still, some of us get stuck in this step. We just keep thinking, oh, well, there's something else I can fix about myself. God's not done working on me yet. I still got other things. But God has more for us. And that's in the third cup of I will redeem you. Redeeming means to put something back to its intended purpose. And so God promises me restoration. Ephesians 1, 11 through 12, this is the message. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. God has a purpose and a plan for you. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. He's uniquely gifted you and wants you to realize your potential. That's it, folks. The meaning of life. We got it. It's what everyone's searching for. God has a purpose for you and he wants you to realize it. It goes on to say, long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had an eye on us. Had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. God has a plan for you, and it's so that you can make a difference on this earth. Some of you don't yet know what that part is, but God made you this promise. He will restore you to your intended purpose. You have a role to play, and at Shorewood, we want to help you realize that role. Everyone is a 10 at something. You have an ability and a gift that you might not have even realized yet. But you can use that gift for the glory of God. At a specific time and a specific place, God is waiting for you. And once you've realized your purpose, finally God says that I will take you as my own people. So now it's gone from, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, to now I will make you my people. God realizes his full plan and he promises me fulfillment when I come together as a part of a team, as a part of the body of Christ. He brought you out, he got the junk out of you, and you found your purpose. So now as part of this team, God wants us to be in community. We were never meant to walk this life alone. When we come together on a team to live out our potential from God, we find fulfillment. So what's it all boil down to? God wants to get you out of bondage. If you're still in it, letting your body make the decisions for you, then you need to get out. And once you're out of that, God wants to get the junk out of your heart. healing you, delivering you from it. Then he wants to help you find your design. You are who you are and what you're living for. There's no greater joy than when you know you're making a difference as a part of a team. 
And this is how God brings you to fulfillment. John 10.10 sums it up that the thief can only steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. God wants us to have a life to the full. That's God's promise in your life. That once you are a part of that team, he can offer it to you. And I know from personal experience that once you are a part of that team, it gets really fun doing great work for God together, each using your gifts and realizing your purpose from God. Let's pray. God, we are each in one of these places today. God, you want to bring us out. If we are still under the bondage of sin, if we are still a slave to the things that our body wants, the things of this world, then God, bring us out of that. God, maybe maybe we know the promise you have for us. Maybe we know this in our head, but God, our heart is still full of junk. You want to deliver us from that today. God, you will free us from that. And God, some others need redemption. God, you have a plan to restore us to our original purpose, but we don't quite know what that is yet. God, help us find that. Lord, show us our gifts that we may become a part of your team to find your fulfillment that you have ready for our lives. God, wherever people are today, I pray that you would just continue to let your promises be known in their lives. God, as we step out in faith, you will show up so much bigger than we ever could have dreamed. Lord, I pray that we would continue to realize these promises in our lives, that it would change our lives. Lord, we love you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.